Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Ray, and welcome to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. In this podcast, we'll keep you up to date with the latest app development tech talk. Now, here are your hosts, Mick and Jake. Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Mick. Welcome back to the RayWenderlich.com podcast. For this episode, I'm joined by my co-host, Jake Gunderson, as well as AGFT member and author of 3D iOS Games by Tutorials, Chris Language. It's good to have you back, Chris. It's good to be back. <laughs> Thanks. Now, now, Chris, just like in your previous episode, I've put 20 minutes up on the clock. What would you like to talk about? One of the things I really want to talk about is what I've been doing the past few months. And um, that was actually updating my book. So even though the book was uh, is essentially just seven months old, uh, we wanted to make sure that our readers at Ray Wenderley get most um, the most up-to-date information we went back to uh, the book and we updated the book with latest content since uh, wwdc 2016 so one of the big updates that we did to the book was actually changing the book's name so previously it was known as uh, 3d ios games by tutorials we've changed that now to 3d apple games by tutorials so there is method to the madness. Um, the main reason behind this is because of, instead of just iOS, the book now includes uh, all other um, available Apple platforms. So our readers will now be able to make their scene kit games run on iOS, Mac OS, TV OS, and uh, also watch OS. So that's very cool uh, addition that we added to the book. Uh, the book also obviously includes content uh, introduced inside of um, or at WWDC 2016. All the sample code got updated to Swift 3 and the sample projects got uh, will now actually compile against Xcode 8. We also added four new chapters to the book. I want to take this opportunity to, to just say thank you to the guys or the team that helped making this book possible and the, the guys that helped me was uh, Toby Stevens and Ken Hu. They were the tech editors for the book. Chris Ballinger and Wendy Lincoln, they were the book editors. Tammy Coron, uh, she was the final pass editor. Obviously, a big thank you to uh, Ray Wenderlich for, for making all of this possible. It, it really, it's, it's kind of like a dream come true for me to, to be part of this. So yeah, that, that was uh, basically my I talk about the book. <laughs> I mean, does that does sound like a significant update? It it was no, it was it it kept me busy for a good three months. I can tell you that the the move to Swift three and Xcode alone that was quite the monster. With um, you know running in beta software, every time they roll out a new version, that you were you were dealing with a whole bunch of new issues with existing code that you would have thought that was done. So every time they roll out a new version of Xcode, you had to go back to the very first project and start from scratch. So it was really, really painful. And then on top of that, you decided to challenge yourself to port it to every other Apple platform as well, as if, as if you'd not put yourself through enough pain. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. But uh, it just made sense. It just made sense to bring that into, into the book. And I, I know the guys did it for the 2D book as well. So I know uh, that you want to, you mentioned that there were four new chapters and I know that you want to speak about now one of those in particular, or rather the content of one of those chapters. 
Yeah, so so I, I didn't come and uh, yet to just talk about the book. So one of those new chapters that um, was introduced talks about graphics for developers. And I felt that um, that could be an interesting subject matter for our chat. Being an indie developer usually makes you responsible for creating everything yourself, right? So it is extremely important to go and grow your very own set of tools per se, like a toolbox, right? Part of that is to make sure that you go and select the right tools for the job. I, I want to make a note of selecting the most affordable tool for the job, right? And I want to talk about a few tools that I highly recommend to all the developers, especially from um, creating 3D graphics now, and also tools that any developer can use uh, in their graphics creation pipe pipeline. You guys are going to laugh at this one because um, it is quite an interesting one that I, I, I thought I just had to add to the list. Is a Lego Digital Designer. It might sound funny. So anybody fortunate enough um, must have played with Lego at some point in time in their lives, right? I hope everybody had the opportunity to, to do that, right? Uh, Lego went and they created a fantastic free application that you can go download for Mac and PC. So just a quick disclaimer, you won't be able to use this tool to go and actually create content for your games. But the reason why I'm mentioning this is because um, Lego Digital Designer is actually a very good tool for uh, a training tool that will teach you the basics behind any 3D authoring tool out there, okay? So it will teach you things like uh, basic scene navigation, like panning, zooming, uh, rotating around your scene. It will teach you how to place objects, manipulate those objects, and connect objects together. Secondly, LEGO Digital Designer makes for a kick-ass prototyping tool, okay? Especially because you have access to all the imaginable LEGO bricks ever created. So to top that, you, you've got an unlimited supply of those bricks. So that, that's even better, right? I, from time to time, go back to Lego, Lego Digital Designer and just sit and play and create stuff. It's really, it's a fun tool. Uh, and uh, I've used this tool with my daughter and um, she, she absolutely loves it. And, and trust me, it saved me quite a lot of money as well, uh, <laughs> buying additional Lego bricks and things like that. So having her creating stuff on, on the computer and learning this 3D environment actually helped her quite a lot in other projects that she's now doing. So I highly recommend this uh, tool for everybody out there. Even if you are a 3D pro, Lego is always um, extremely fun to play with anyways. What's Legos interest in it? Can you like buy Legos based on your designs or like what is the point from Legos point of view? So that was the initial version, um, the idea behind the initial version. So you were able to build a little uh, Lego environment and what you could do is you could then submit that and they will send you a pack of Lego bricks containing all of the bricks that you used inside of your little scene that you created. Okay. Uh, but unfortunately, that feature fell away. It's probably too expensive for them to, like, custom pack. 
Legos, I'm guessing. Yeah, maybe. I'm, I'm not 100% sure why that feature fell away. The other cool thing is you can actually create, um, you know, like the instruction manuals that you get with a box of Lego. Uh, it, it has a very unique um, feature that actually generates that little instruction manual for you. Oh, that's say, cool. okay, yeah, so you started this block, you built this block on top of that and so forth. So very, very cool uh, tool. But as I said, if you, if you love Lego, go get this tool. Um, the main reason I'm mentioning this is because it will teach you the basics of uh, 3D authoring tools, how to manipulate your scene, build bricks. Uh, you can take that knowledge then to Xcode and um, you know build environments and scenes using that same knowledge and uh, methodology of manipulating a 3d scene yeah i mean i'm just having a look uh, at the screenshot i've just done done a search on some screenshots on google because unfortunately there's no screenshots on lego's own site I, 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 I can see what you mean because the interface i know you're going to get on to talking about blender if like they are polar apart polar opposites because this is so I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to use the word basic because I've looked at some of the stuff in the gallery that they've got and, and obviously you can create some quite intricate models. But like you say, I mean, they have obviously targeted this as a, at a specific audience and they've built their app around that. And, you know, I can definitely see your point that it's a great learning tool because um, it is it is so... Blender, for somebody that's never used a 3D package, when you first open it, will be incredibly overwhelming. And this is like the exact opposite. I didn't want to use the word underwhelming, but this is like the, the opposite of that. And also, you know, if it, if it does use some of the same tools, like you say, you know, to pan and zoom, then at least when you move up to something like Blender, then you have some familiarity. It's not entirely a, you know, a foreign concept. So I think that's that was really good to bring that into light, Chris. I'd like to echo that. Like I tried to learn to use Blender several times before I finally was able to get it get a functional working understanding of how to use the tool uh, enough that I could actually build something to put into one of my games. And it was, it was, it was excruciating. Like it, the interface is, has so many modes and it's so non-intuitive. It's like this major investment of time to learn how to use Blender. And it's a very powerful tool and it's professional level too. So if you want, I mean, professionals use it to, to do their work. So it's a very powerful tool, but it, 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 there are a lot of other 3D designing packages that if you're brand new, you should probably not start with Blender unless you're really invested and really committed to spending, you know, hours and hours learning how to use the interface because it's, it's not fun. Yeah, so the, the, the method to, to this approach is to actually start you off uh, slowly <laughs> um, and um, then take it a step further with uh, a next version of a tool that, that, that actually can create content for you and uh, is also not as uh, difficult as Blender. As I said, I, I, I still use Lego Digital Designer just to go back and uh, I sell them or, or sometimes create um, prototypes of, of uh, little vehicles and houses. And uh, it's really so cool to actually use it as a prototyping tool as well. So moving on to our next tool, uh, a tool that actually can be used to create 3D content for your games. And especially for uh, programmers that um, doesn't have a lot of time to just to go and learn complex tools. Uh, and that tool is Magica Voxel. 
So for those who don't know um, what voxel graphics is, uh, you, okay, so you might be living under a rock, but um, <laughs> think about games like Minecraft, uh, Crossy Road, and uh, Pac-Man uh, 256. These games made voxel graphics extremely popular these days, right? With those games in mind, you uh, make use of a thing called a voxel, which is essentially just a cube, and uh, you basically stack cubes together to, cre to create various blocky terrains, uh, shapes, and uh, characters in 3D space. The plus side, or, or the, the plus side now, is that um, with uh, your newly adopted LEGO Digital Designer skill set <laughs> that you're going to pick up, right? You'll feel right at home inside Ma uh, Magico Voxel because it is all about sea navigation, panning, zooming, rotating, and placing blocks. That, that those two kind of went hand in hand for me. So a stepping stone, Lego digital designer, and then go straight for Ma Magico Voxel. The problem with Magico Voxel is um, the user interface is somewhat of a shocker. <laughs> and uh, it, it will take some time to get used to. But trust me, once you've got the UI figured out, you won't want it any other way. The person who created it really um, did a stunning job with creating the UI um, and such a unique UI as well. So for, uh, for those who know my, uh, knows my book, uh, they might have seen the front cover. There's a, a little voxel pig in front of uh, the front cover. That front uh, or that pig is called Mr. Pig, and uh, that character was actually created using Magica Voxel. There's an additional chapter now in the book. This uh, chapter that focuses on uh, graphics creation takes you on a step-by-step -step guide to create that pig from uh, his snout right down to his tail. Okay, so very, very cool uh, part that we added. The cool part about now uh, Magica Voxel is you can export your creations uh, into uh, popular formats. Uh, one of those formats is OBJ files, which is uh, understood by all the major 3D authoring tools out there. Bonus is Xcode now also can understand OBJ files. So it's really, really easy to import a one of your Magica voxel creations into Xcode and use it inside of your games. So really, really cool. In that chapter, do you walk the reader through that process as well? Yes. The, the, the best approach that I saw to, to teach the reader all the various um, things that you can do as you build uh, your scenes is actually to go and create something. And um, it just made sense to use Mr. Pick because he's the epic character of the whole book. And uh, yeah, you, you, I take the, the the reader through all the steps from creating a new project, start uh, start to build the feet, and then the body, and then the nose, and then the eyes. So every step uses a different type of tool to create a different type of part of the the, the pig, so to speak. And um, yeah, uh, through the whole process, I think it's a, a few steps that I take you through. Um, to create it but uh, after creating that that big you've actually used all the available tools that you typically would use inside of magic of voxel cool i mean that that's really good because like you say you know this is another app where on first launch you're like what the hell um, and then also 
there is some idiosyncrasies that you have to learn that aren't immediately obvious. Like to give you a couple of examples, like obviously you're well, you'll be well aware of these. But for people listening, you 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 can only work within a limited uh, workspace. So I think you work within a cube within Magic of Ox. That's right, isn't it? And it's like one twenty six by one twenty six by one twenty six. So you can't make huge big voxel scenes. If you want to do that, you need to either. You can make quite big scenes. I've uh, they've uh, upped the the capabilities quite significantly. I can tell you that much. Okay, but uh, f- from what I understood is that that you can uh, you can take them out of Magic Evoxer the editing tool, but you can then download the Magic Evoxer viewer and then you can piece them back together in there. To because obviously you can create a rendering from this stuff as well. Uh, it's not just about creating an object to take and putting a three D engine. You can t- make traditional renderings as well and then the other thing that i think catches a lot of people uh, unsuspected is that is the way that the palette works and the way that the 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 uh it's difficult to explain without actually without you know people knowing that the people that you're talking to have actually seen the interface but uh, if you imagine a grid of i don't know how big the grid is uh, i think it's got 200 it's adjustable oh is it yeah Yeah, okay yeah um and if you Create if you want to assign a color using the palette to a voxel, and then you change the color in the palette of that specific grid, then it updates all the voxels that you have assigned that color to. Which, when you start working with it as a tool, you actually realise how intuitive that is. But it is different behaviour to say, you know how a how that that same sort of tool works in something like Photoshop or Sketch or you know other author are authoring packages that people will be familiar with this has a completely different way of working and like i say once you get used to it you go oh, you know that is quite intuitive like you were saying about the, u- the user interface like yeah you 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 hate it at first but persevere off- that's it yeah persevere you'll love it so <laughs> so chris um we are running short of time but i know that, that, that obviously we've mentioned it a couple of times that we were we, we were building up to talking about blender so just want to take a couple of minutes before we have to wrap this section up to talk about blender yeah let me quickly uh talk about it when you talk about blender let's let's quickly talk about the other behemoth uh 3d authoring tools out there right so i'm especially talking about tools like cinema 4d maya rhino and uh, 3d studio max so although uh, those tools are fantastic in their own special way, uh, they're, no, they're not quite as fantastic from an affordability perspective, right? So especially when you're an indie developer with no budget. Enter scene, Blender, right? Blender is by far one of the most powerful 3D authoring tools out there available for Mac and PC. I'm not sure, uh, probably other platforms as well because it is open source. The best part about Blender is it is free. With Blender, you can construct 3D worlds, objects, uh, by manipulating uh, points known as vertices in 3D space. Uh, You uh, form edges and faces. You can then use powerful non-destructive modifiers to shape and warp and deform your 3D creations. And finally, you can uh, fairly easily generate texture coordinates and texture maps that you can then use to texture your 3D objects. So that's quite an important thing for uh, game developers right is to get their 3d uh, objects textured and things like that so that's one of the key features that i use blender for is to do that specific task blender is uh, quite a, a monster to learn 
but uh, it, it contains everything imaginable built right into it. It will take you time to master it, but uh, take it in small steps and you'll find that it's not that difficult as soon as you start to get used to the, the basics behind it. Just to point out one of the key features that I use Blender for uh, right now, and I, this is specifically talking about voxel graphics now again, is uh, I use Blender uh, for uh, scaling and rotating uh, my objects, my voxel objects that I've exported out of Magica Voxel. Uh, I then convert that object into a Collada uh, uh, format, which is uh, also open format, which uh, then can be used like game engines um, like Unity and uh, also Xcode supports the Collada format uh, extremely well as well. Okay, that's great. Now, hopefully with that, you know, significant update that you've done to the book and we'll make sure um, we get some links into the show notes to the store page if anybody's interested in picking that up. And also, I know Chris Bellinger put together a post highlighting what's new. Um, so I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. People can check that out. But hopefully with that update and you talking about these these free tools that people can pick up and, and quite importantly, a sort of a learning path as well, you know, pick up Lego Digital Studio and, pick, you know, learn the basics before moving into this other stuff. Some people that perhaps were off-put um, by, you know, 3, 3D and, and working with games and stuff might, you know, it might just inspire them to to give it a shot. So hopefully, anyway, that's what that's what we hope for the the podcast that we inspire you all, and you know, you go away feeling as though you've learned something, and that uh, or that you're motivated to go and try something new. Now, before we move on to Jake's topic, we're going to take a short break and hear about this episode's sponsor. Tired of your dead end job? Ever thought about changing your career? Dev Mountain makes it easier than ever to land your perfect job in tech. Dev Mountain is Utah's number one coding school, teaching modern technical skills for today's fast-paced, high-tech industries. They offer both full-time and part-time coding courses in web development, iOS development, and UX design. Dev Mountain's expert faculty are passionate about sharing their craft and empowering the next wave of programmers, entrepreneurs, and designers. Visit devmountain.com and start your new career today. And I'd just like to thank Dev Mountain again for sponsoring this episode of the RayWendlick.com podcast. Okay, Jake, it's a big moment this. This is the final 20 minutes of the season. So I'll put them on the clock. It's over to you. Okay, so I wanted to kind of go back and to basics a little bit today and talk about core graphics and custom drawing a little bit in iOS. Um, something we haven't talked about for a little while. And I've been playing around with it a lot, specifically in playgrounds. It's fun to jump into a playground and just mess around with the drawing API. There's some new Swift three has made the core graphics API a little bit more friendly, which is would help, which helps a little bit. So just to kind of give those who've never worked with core graphics or, or beginners an idea of what I'm talking about, um, core graphics is a drawing API that has a really, uh, it's it's quite old. Its origins go way back to PostScript printers and PDFs and code that is, is really, really low level to kind of describe shapes and, and different ways of drawing. Um, and so the first thing you probably want to know about core graphics is that everything is done using a core graphics context. Um, and the context is just, it stores kind of the state of the drawing engine. So if you are drawing a circle and you want to fill that circle with a color, and you want to stroke the edges of the circle with a different color, um, the core graphics context is what keeps track of all those variables. 
you you will go in and you'll set the path on the context. You will uh, set the color, the fill color on the context. It'll set the stroke color on the context as as long as well as a bunch of other variables. Um, and then you'll tell the context to go ahead and fill. Now, so everything is done kind of through the mediation of the context. You might have used Bezier paths and other drawing APIs that are higher level. The original Core Graphics API is a C API. And so you might have used a UI Bezier path or an NS Bezier path. And you might think, that's not true. I don't have to use the context when I use a UI Bezier path. But you should understand that actually UI Bezier path is doing that work for you. And and when you can use the higher level APIs, you should because they're much friendlier. But understand that even if you're using a higher level API, that higher level API is actually doing what you would do um, at the low, with the lower level C API in Core Graphics. Um, and there's different, one thing I should say is there's different kinds of contexts. And so the main kind of context that you're, you, you are familiar with, even if you don't know it, is the drawing to the screen context. And so that context is always around. Uh, anytime you're, you're, you're seeing things, that's being used. Um, but you can also do a bitmap context, which is a context for creating images. So if you want to output a JPEG or some other kind of image format, you would want to use a bitmap context and you can create a bitmap context and then draw whatever you want into the bitmap context. And you can then use that bitmap context to either draw that the bitmap context to the screen context or you can save it as a file and put it into a UI image. So a lot of times you'll be doing a little bit of both. But just when you actually go, if you know you're going to need some kind of file version or save to disk version, then you probably want to use a bitmap context. Um, and then there's also a PDF context. And so Core Graphics is also used for drawing uh, PDFs. Another thing that's important in terms of the Core Graphics API is the path. Now, I mentioned UI Bezier path and NS Bezier path. Those are the Objective-C, um, now Swift, object-oriented uh, wrappers that we often use to create paths. And again, if you can use them, you should because they make life easier. Um, but a Bezier path it can be lots of different things. It can be circles. It can be a rectangle. It can be a rounded rectangle. There's a lot of initialization APIs in, in both of those classes to create common shapes uh, very easily. But you can also supply what we normally think of as a Bezier path, which is a series of points and control points that, that create a curve. Um, if you think about what a font uh, is made out of, a fonts are actually made out of a whole series of Bezier paths that define the shapes um, around, the, you know, the shapes of the letters and the serifs and all of that. It's, it's just tons of Bezier path information. I'm not going to try to describe the math behind that, but if you're curious about what I'm talking about, just Google Bezier path and you'll get a pretty quick idea of what, how Bezier path works. So paths are super important. We use them all the time. And anytime you draw, you'll probably interface with the path, even if you're doing something simple. Um, I should, I should back up and, and just say, why, why might you care about this? There are several like big reasons. There are things you can't do without drawing APIs. If you want to draw something custom, like a custom graph or a custom control that kind of has like some kind of effect that can't be represented by a series of static images very well, then those are the big cases. Those are the two big cases where you're going to want to drop down and use core graphics. Uh, on OS 10 or Mac OS now, 
a lot of interfaces that you have seen on Mac apps, a lot of those aren't represented using images. A lot of Mac developers will use core graphics to draw their entire interface. And one nice thing about that is that uh, anything drawn using paths, um, paths are vector graphics, which means they will scale up and down without losing any definition. And so uh, you end up with a application that has very few image assets in it, and it can be very small. I worked at a company and we had this high level professional application. And I think the entire application was like under four megabytes because it had no, it had no large static assets in it. Most, most apps are the, the most of the, the size of most apps is not the code. It's the, it's the static assets that have to come with it. Um, and so we were, we were kind of proud that our app was so powerful and yet so small. So if you work on OS 10, a lot of times you will, you'll use core graphics. That's the other thing too, is in, in OS 10, it's not as easy to drop in and just say, make this control have these images as the different states. You can do that, but it's the, the support for that was built into iOS when AppKit was first introduced. Um, in OS 10, there's more ways of doing that. And one of the ways, I think when I was as an iOS developer, I don't think I ever had to overwrite DrawRect, uh, the DrawRect method of UI view. And my very first day working on an OS 10 app, I had to understand what I was doing in terms of overriding the draw the DrawRect method in NSView. So um, it's drawing is more important when you're on, not more important, but you'll use it more on OS 10 uh, than you do on iOS. But in, I think for anybody... Uh, it's handy and useful to have that kind of skill in your back pocket. That uh, thing that you just mentioned about shapes and the Bezier path and all that, uh, just talking from a scene kit's perspective, you can actually use that uh, to go and create your own custom shapes in scene kit. You then extrude that into a 3D object. So you can totally use that skill inside of scene kit as well. Yeah, that's, and that's a good point. There's, there's a sprite kit, um, shape layer. We have a CA shape layer in UI kit. And as you mentioned, there's a sprite kit, uh, way to use shapes. And so if you do know how to do this, if you're comfortable doing it, there is little places all through the, any API that has a visual component where it can come in handy to be able to just know, understand how paths work and be able to use a shape, uh, in your, in your game or whatever you might be doing. Um, so yeah, thanks for, thanks for mentioning that. Um, one thing, one thing I wanted to mention, Jake, um, obviously, uh, core graphics up until, uh, the summer was a C, C API. So it was, mm-hmm. it was very typical, like uh, a method that takes some parameters and like you say, it operates on this internal state. Um, and then, you know, we knew Swift 3 was coming and as part of Swift 3, they've done this huge overhaul of uh, core graphics and made it sort of object orientated um, as best they can, probably. Um, so I didn't, I w- didn't know if you wanted to touch on, on some of the big changes. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I did. Um, so it, traditionally, you would drop into, say, a draw rect method and you would first need to get the context and so you can operate on it and so there's a there's a ui graphics get current current context call and then that will that will that will return the current context and because you're in a draw rect method you already have you always have a context inside of draw rect um if you're trying to do a bitmap or you're trying to do something else outside of draw rect you would want to create a context and you pass in a bunch of variables and parameters like the size of the context and 
and the color space of the context. There's different color spaces based on what device you're on. Different monitors, different printers, different things use different ways of representing color. And so you have lots of different color spaces that you can use to create a context. Anyway, so you'd get the context. And then as Mick mentioned, you would then need to call these these really long method names and you would pass the context in and then whatever other parameters. And so like, for example, you'd set the fill color on the context, which is with a call called CG context set fill color. The first parameter would be the context. Second parameter would be the color. And in core graphics, you're using a C representation. So you use UI color, but then you have to get the CG color property from your UI color initializer. Um, so there's a bunch of really long core graphics method calls that you'd have to learn. And as an Objective-C programmer, they aren't, they aren't familiar or friendly. It seems like you have to do lots of, there are lots of calls to do something that seems relatively simple. And you've got to remember all these really long function names in order to work with it. Well, as Mick mentioned in Swift 3, they Swiftified the, the interface to core graphics. And so now instead of saying, you know, calling these really long functions, you have a bunch of methods on the context object that are equivalent. And so now you'd say you'd get the current context, as I mentioned before, but you'd say context dot set fill color or context dot set stroke color. And that will set the values on that context. And so now everything's done with the context and looking at that code. I mean, this is, it's not a huge thing, but it's a minor hurdle, especially, especially for beginners to have to learn a whole new kind of style of writing code in this lower level API. Well, now it's pretty seamless. It feels very swifty. It feels like all the other code that you might write. Again, the only, the biggest difference is that you're, you are still operating on the context at all times. And so even if you have worked a little bit with drawing, you might have say drawn a custom view with some rectangles and some other things in it. Um, you might not have actually needed to get down to any of these C-level APIs because you'll have the UI Bezier path API. And so what you do in the case of like a UI Bezier path, you initialize the Bezier path with the, with the shape. So maybe that's a rounded rect. And then you'd say, you'd say UI color set fill and that would set the context. And so you'd, you'd use the UI color. You wouldn't, still, you wouldn't need to drop down to the CG color version yet because you're still using UI colors interface or UI Bezier paths interface to these lower level APIs. And you can still do that. And that's still nice. It's just that the new Swift 3 API is much, it just looks and feels a lot more like these higher level interfaces. So that's, that's really nice. And do you still have to do that conversion? Because I mean, that was part of the pain, wasn't it? Is that you were working with, um, you had a C-based API and outside of that, I don't want to use the word context now because I'm using it yeah. in a different context. Right. But, <laughs> right. you know, within, within you know, like once you were outside of that low-level drawing code, you were working with objects um, and you're working with things like, especially from UI kit, so like UI color. But then as soon as you drop down into those C-based APIs, you couldn't work with UI color directly because the the core graphics APIs wanted a, a CG color. Now there was obviously put a method uh, on UI color instances of UI color to return the CG color counterpart. Um, but I was wondering if the like sort of erased that that part of the process as well. And now a lot of this stuff that previously needed a CG color now accepts a UI color, and they do that conversion internally if it still needs to be done. 
I think, yeah, it does. I'm just, as you're talking, I'm just Googling the, the, the API. You do. You still need to supply a CG color or a CG path um, or a CG image, depending on what you're doing. And so, yes, you still do need to hand core graphics level structs, which is what we have in C, um, instead of, you know, objects, the object level version. And in, in all cases, there's a dot whatever parameter, right? UI image has a dot CG image. UI Bezier path has a dot. I think it's a dot CG path. And UI color has a dot CG color. So it's always just a property on your object. Um, but yes, it doesn't, it, they haven't updated it to the point where it's, you're still interfacing. It's just the interface that's different. You're still calling through to the same C methods. It's just that the syntax has changed. Um, so there is still a little bit of that, that, that you do need to know. And it's not, I mean, as long as you understand that there's always a property, um, available to you, it's not that big of a deal. Cause the compiler will tell you like, I don't take a UI color. I need a CG color. And you're like, Oh, duh, I forgot. And I do that all the time. I forget to, I supply UI color to my core graphics methods. Um, but you, you do still need to do that. So that's a good question. So, so do you think then in this, rather than it being a rewrite, it's more of a, like a facade, like it's just a, a proxy that's sat on top of. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I think okay. that's my, that's my thing. That's what it looks like to me. And I don't, you know, I don't know the internals, but I believe it's just a, it's just a different um, interface to the same underlying C code rather than actually wrapping stuff in object level um, things. And I mean, in some level, in some level, we don't need that because we do have UI Bezier path and UI color. So for example, if you want to set the, if you want to set the stroke color of a path, you just say UI color dot red dot set fill, and it will set the current context to a red fill color, right? And then you can call UI Bezier path draw, and it will draw your Bezier path into the context. And in that case, you've never touched the context at all. I mean, you have through these object, through these objects um, interfaces, and so you don't actually need to supply CG color or um, you know, a CG path because those objects are already doing that for you. And I would say for me, 90% of the time when I'm writing core graphics code, I actually can use those object interfaces and I don't have to drop down, but it does become useful to know how to drop down if you want to do something more advanced. And some examples of something more advanced might be you can, um, you can apply different transforms to um, the context. And so you can say, I want to draw, let's say you have a chunk of code that draws a, like the icon for your logo and you want to draw that bigger or smaller, or you want to draw it to the left or right. Well, you can write a piece of code that always draws it at kind of zero, zero. And then you can use core graphics transforms to move it around, scale it up, shrink it down, stuff like that. Um, and so or if you wanted to, for example, draw an image and you wanted to draw a shape that would mask the image. So let's say you wanted to draw a person's face inside a circle or inside a side of a star shape. Um, applying those masks is another example where you might need to drop down to the actual core graphics level. It's good to know how to use it, but you actually usually can get by like most of the time just using those object the, the objective C originally interfaces to core graphics through UI Bayesian path and whatever. We've got about five minutes left. And I, I did have another thing that I wanted to move on to. Obviously uh, Chris spent quite a bit of time talking about uh, tools that help him. Um, you know, Chris spent a lot of time talking about the tools for the 3d 
work that he was doing and, and book and, and that kind of stuff. Uh, I know that there, you know, we've talked about this low-level code, uh, core graphics code, for what about fifteen minutes now. But I know there's a tool that you're a big fan of, Jake, that you gave me or you used in a talk at RWDefcon last year. Um, that's recently been updated, so it's compatible with Swift three uh, in Paint Code. So I don't know if you wanted to talk about that in the yeah. last five minutes. Yeah, I did. So Paint Code, I do love Paint Code. So Paint Code has a number of of reasons I would recommend it. The first one that I think is probably the most common one is that you can import SVG into Paint Code and it will generate all your core graphics code for you. So basically you have your artist or somebody using Illustrator or using um, Inkscape and both any kind of good vector drawing program will output SVG. And so you can, SVG is just a format that basically, it, it's a lot like the code that generates Bezier paths. It's just a series of points and control points and, and things that will create these curved paths. And so, and you can actually open up SVG. In many cases, you can open it to XML and you can just read it. Um, it's not very interesting, but you can understand it. You can basically export uh, SVG out of, out of Illustrator or whatever. And then you can dump that into paint code or import it into paint code. And paint code will deliver for you this um, sometimes quite large list of core graphics calls that do the same drawing operations that this illustrator just created for you. And so if you're like me and you're not really that artistically talented and so you rely on an artist, but you you don't want to do everything with um, rasterized graphics or you know just static graphics that don't scale well, you can have you know your artist use use vector graphics, and then you can use those in your app with this core graphics code, um, and that that's super handy and can save you a ton of time. I mean, if you had to with anything that's that sophisticated in terms of like if you had like a Twitter logo, it would take you um, a long time to manually a lot longer than you'd want to spend manually converting that or even trying to replicate it in um, with core graphics calls to you know control points and whatnot. The other, though, recommendation I would make to anyone wanting to learn core graphics is paint code is actually a really good way to learn how to write core graphics code because there's a lot of kind of picky... If you just look through the API, there are lots and lots and lots of different functions and you're not really sure which ones you should be using. Using a code generator like paint code will allow you to really quickly go in, create something, and then see how that's reflected in the code. Um, and as you get better, you might disagree. Any code generator is going to have its drawbacks and you might disagree with the code it writes, but it's a great place for beginners to start to make it really quickly to um, develop those skills rapidly without having to kind of f- fight with, um, you know, the whole build and run cycle. You just see, okay, if I want to, if I want to stick this inside of this and I want this shape to mask this shape and I want to add these paths, I want to do this, you know, you can put that together in five minutes in paint code and have it spit out 200 lines of code. And you're like, okay, I get how that works. And then maybe you just copy and paste the code from paint code. And maybe you rewrite the code the way, just the way a different way. But now at least you've kind of had this, it's, it's a rapid way. In fact, I still use it to remind myself when I'm like, I don't remember how to mask, how to have one shape mask an image. I'll just jump into paint code and put, throw it together in two minutes. And be like, okay, that's, that's how you do it. So I'd like paint code a lot. I would, it's like a hundred bucks. Um, I would recommend it to anybody that feels like they can afford it and thinks that they'll at some point be using core graphics. Like say custom controls is another one. I think that's probably their main business. They talk a lot about 
Um, the only other thing I should mention um, when we're talking about importing SVG with paint code is if you do want to use um, SVG graphics throughout your app for other things, there are some libraries you can use to import SVG. Uh, I have used, there's one called SVG Kit, which is an Objective-C library. Um, and there's another one I've used in Playgrounds that's Swift called Swift SVG. And Swift, Swift SVG is Swift 2.3. So in order to use it in Playgrounds, you got to go through and have it recommend all the upgrades from Swift 2.3 to Swift 3. But I've pl I like playing with, as I mentioned, I like messing around with uh, drawing in the playground. I think that's fun. And so uh, Swift SVG is out there. Um, and without too much work, you can get it, get pieces of it working um, in a playground. So, Okay, well, we're going to have to call it there as well for this episode. Uh, thanks again for joining us, Chris. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Now, if you have any feedback or comments on the podcast, then please do get in contact via podcast at raywenley.com. And don't forget to leave your reviews on iTunes. We hope you've enjoyed this episode and the season as a whole. Thanks for listening and do join us again in January for Season 7 of the RayWenley.com podcast. And that's a wrap. Thanks again, everybody, for listening to the RayWenley.com podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to leave a rating on iTunes. See you next time.